Well, thank you, uh, band, and uh, leading us this morning. And uh, it's always good uh, to be. We don't get this every week, so it's good just to be in like worship. Um, and uh, you know, I was thinking just a minute ago. I had breakfast with your pastor yesterday morning, and uh, Mike's just a dear brother, friend, um, has meant a ton to me. Uh, God's used him in my life in so many ways. Uh, but we were having uh, breakfast yesterday, and I got thinking about that as I was sitting down here. Um, who, you know, he's here, he preaches every week, and um, now being a, um, a pastor, uh, a lead pastor of a church, um, and the weight of that um, every week, um, you know, we, we're a lot smaller than you, um, but, there, but every person in there uh, is a person that God loves, and um, is a person that uh, has many trials and difficulties in their life, and um, to get up and stand up, I've had the hardest time preaching uh, there and um, I asked Mike yesterday. I said, "Why is that? And why do I, I can preach and come here and preach and feel comfortable? I can go to the churches and preach and feel comfortable. Um, and it doesn't matter on the size of people or the crowd. Um, but with our church, it's the smaller, the smallest crowd that I've preached at in a long time. But yet, it's the hardest, and it is so much pressure. And I've literally said in my car, I was at a Starbucks one day in the car at Starbucks, fixing to go in to work on some sermon prep." Uh, for because we're doing some monthly gatherings, monthly services, and I and I cried and I said, God, I can't do this every week, and uh, I don't I don't have it every week to do this, and um, and I'm reminded Mike was talking yesterday just the weight um, that it is when you open God's word um, to share it. Every word that comes out of my mouth um, matters in the life of people, um, and His word matters in life of people, and, um, and so I, I count it a great privilege to, like, stand here and open God's Word this morning to you, like, I really do, um, and the weight of that, and, and I hope that'll doubly encourage you to encourage your pastor. Um, uh, I, I would say this, I thought I knew what that was like. Um, I'm feeling what that's like now to be a, a senior lead pastor of a church, and, um, and, and I know everybody's job's hard, I get that, um, and, and trust me, I, I was doing a I just two weeks ago, up to two weeks ago, I was a Starbucks barista. Be nice to your barista. You crazy, crazy people that come in there at like 5 a.m. and order your drinks. It's nuts to me. But I would get up every morning at, at 3.45 and go to work and then do church stuff. I was working 15, 16 hour days. And, um, and, and that was hard. Um, but the weight of standing before and, and shepherding people is, is just, uh, it's crippling without Jesus. And, um, and so just know that and, and encourage your pastor. I think he's coming back next week, I think. And, and um, he's excited to be back and, and to come back. And um, I think this week he's already trying to get back into it because he just wants to be back. But um, anyway, just feel like I needed to share that with you. And um, so I hope you take that. Well, hey, um, open your Bibles to Luke. And uh, we're looking at Luke 10. But before I do that, I want to um, share a little bit just really quick uh, about... Uh, just how much, how thankful I am to you for your partnership with us. And uh, we, we've been gone, my, myself personally, my wife and I, and our kids have been gone for three years. We've even had another child since then. Uh, she was born in Portland. She's the only true Oregonian in our home. And um, she is uh, a little different personality. And we just keep saying that's our Northwest personality. And uh, so she's, it was because of our youngest that we decided that we might be done with kids at this point. And, um, but... Uh, but we've had a kid, and, and things have changed, and we have families that have moved out, and it's been incredible. But um, I just want to say thank you for your partnership. Without your partnership, we're not there. Um, the reality, we're not, we're not there without Tri-Cities. And um, we have uh, a lot of partnerships. Part of my job 
And part of what I do is I have to go around and raise money and talk to people and find partners and bring teams. We need people on the ground and all of that stuff. And, um, but Tri-Cities is number one to us. You're our sending church. You, you are the biggest investors from, from personnel to people to resources to prayer to finances to all of that. Without you, the work in Portland, Oregon doesn't happen uh, with us. And I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, for all that you're doing, and I can't even tell you that enough. I, I wish I could call you every, every single one of you on days when we see incredible things happen in a conversation or a, someone's at our house who, who's talking to us about the Word or something going on in their life and they thinking about wanting Jesus and, um, and having gospel conversations. When those things happen, I wish I could like Skype all of you into those conversations and let you see those things because those things I don't have pictures of. That's a little awkward when you're having a spiritual conversation. Can I take a picture of this? So, um, but it's those things that you're investing in that you're not going to see. But, um, but we've been there now uh, two years, and uh, we've learned so much. And in two years, you know, it's very difficult to, to think about moving. Not just, some of you have moved, and I get that. And I don't know if any of you have ever moved 3,000 miles away. Um, but when you move 3,000 miles away from everything you know, and not just to any place. Uh, the Northwest is a different ballgame. Um, it's a different world. Um, the people, we love the people of the Northwest. Um, it, difference not bad. Difference just different. Um, and sin is sin. People are people, yes. Um, and you see a lot of, obviously, similarities in people. But there are cultural undertones that you just don't know in a week trip, two trips, a month, two months, until you live there. And when you live there and you interact with people every day, you realize it's a worldview, it's a way of life. And the way we say it is in our culture, when I grew up here, even if you didn't go to church, I used to get this all the time, people would say, well, hey, like, I'm not in church, but like, you know, I'm, I need to maybe get my kids in church. You know, like my kids are getting older now and that's a good thing, right? So there's like this moral code within our culture. Now, by the way, don't be naive to that. That's changing people. Um, but the reality is, is Portland is like 15, 20 years down the road in that. Um, and so, um, so most people that were born there, um, it's not that they're just against Jesus. They hate Jesus. The, the, most of the people that were born there were just born in a, and raised in a culture where it would be like you growing up and waking up one day and thinking, you know, like, I, I've never been, but it might be good to like, try to get my kids in the mosque. Most of you have never thought that. Now, if you're here and you're, you've been in Islamic background and all that, like maybe, obviously you have. But the majority of people in East Tennessee have never woke up and saw, I think I should, I'm not going to the mosque, but I think I might need to get my kids in the mosque. Like, that's never, that's just never crossed your mind. I've never, grown up here, I never grew up thinking, I'll give it a try. Like, that was never even a thought. And I know that's hard for us to believe that people wake up and they never think, I'll think I'll give church a try, but they've never had that thought. Um, and, and so it's not that people are against it. Even Christians there who we have, even our group, we have one girl who has been saved now for almost four years, and uh, Crystal, and uh, love this girl. She's growing so much. Her and her husband actually were praying about sending them out to Japan in the next couple years. We're working with them. It's crazy what God's done to these, people, these people's lives. And, but Crystal, four years ago, would have told you that she had chose Jesus. She would say, I chose Jesus as the way but so goes Gandhi, so goes uh, Muhammad, so goes Hinduism, so goes it all. Um, and, and she would say, that's great, I just chose this route. And she was going to, by the way, people, she was going to an evangelical church. Like, that was just, it's just, it's tolerance, it's everything. And uh, so it makes it very, very difficult, but, 
God's doing a really, really incredible work there. And I brought some pictures I wanted to show you really quick. This is Portland. If you've never been to Portland, it's, um, it is God's masterpiece. Um, uh, the city, the, the, the sky, you can see Mount Hood in the background there. Um, this is just, all, we have tons of this, hundreds of this, the trails, and uh, it's beautiful. This is Multnomah Falls. If you ever get to go to Multnomah Falls, it's, it's incredible. We have waterfalls everywhere. This is our coastline. This is, this is a little less than an hour from my house right there. Um, it's incredible. Um, and then, uh, I think, is there one more? Is that it? Is that it? Awesome. That's it. But I just wanted to show you different landscapes. The reason people live there, it's, it's literally um, every piece of landscape you can think, from the beach to the coastline to the gorge to all that within an hour drive. I mean, it's, it's just like a, a playground of, of God's creation. And so if you want a great picture, and I don't have time to share it this morning so completely, but if you want a great picture of what's happening there spiritually, just go home and read Romans 1. Romans 1 is the greatest definition of what's happening in Portland um, because what it says in Romans 1 is it says when men suppress truth and they, they suppress truth, what happens is over time of suppressing truth, it says that they'll worship the creation over the creator. And they say as they worship the creation over the creator, it starts listing all the vile things that men will do. That's Portland, Oregon. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had the world's largest naked bike ride in our city. Um, we always say never buy a, um, a used bike in Portland. That's like, that's like a known thing. And, um, and so, but like culture, like, I mean, you could get arrested for like not having a helmet, but you don't get arrested for wearing, by, by being naked. And this just, it's just tolerance. Um, um, our kids will grow up. I mean, we regularly every day smell marijuana. It's legal. We could have, we can have plants in our homes. Like it's legal. So it's just every day you smell that. Every day it's in your face. Um. Uh, when, when the transgender stuff came out and, and there was a lot of upbringing with the different, you know, the Target bathrooms and all that, like, you ne- even from Christian evangelicals in our city, you never hear about this stuff. Why? Because that stuff's been happening for years. Like, that's like, that's like old news. That's like 15 years ago news. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a culture that um, is just tolerance. But I will tell you this. Um, it's a people that I love, and I'll tell you why I love them. I love them because... Um, it's not like, I feel like growing up there was a lot of, in relationships, there was a small wall with people, and then you get across that small wall relationally and you realize there's a really big wall. The, way I, the reason I love Portlanders is this, is there's no small wall. If you, have, if you don't have a thick skin, you won't last there. They have a really big wall. And they're cool with Jesus, but don't evangelize them. And if they're not okay with Jesus, and if they don't want Jesus, don't listen, don't ask their opinion. Because if you, they're passive-aggressive. If you, if, you, if you ask their opinion, they're going to hurt your feelings. But they don't think they're hurting your feelings. It's just honesty, and that's why I love them. They're just honest. They're, you know where they're at. Every conversation, my, I have a, a friend right now named Wayne. I'm discipling him uh, now three, three weeks now. Um, and I just met him. Long story short, through, um, through Starbucks, I was this barista. He got let go at Intel. Intel's in our, in our community 40,000 employees, and uh, Wayne was an engineer, 42 years old. He was shooting up crack cocaine at night, going to Intel the next day, two kids at home. You'd never know. It looks just like Ed Leeson. I mean, it's just like, and I shoot, uh, Ed Leeson, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's shooting up crack cocaine at night, going to work the next day, and it was just like this lifestyle, and just dying, and he approached me and asked me uh, about Starbucks, and I said, well, I'm actually, letting, I'm actually quitting, and he said, what else you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, you're going to think this is so weird, and I said, probably not. And I did, I said that. I said, probably not. And he said, I need to talk to you. 
And so we, we set a meeting that was on Tuesday, Thursday morning. We were at Starbucks meeting, and Wayne just said, blah, and, and I just listened. And I knew this, that I needed to find out. I need to, listen, it's all about hearing and obeying the Holy Spirit. I, I've caught myself with people, instead of trying to be prepared with going in, it's just care enough about people to not be prepared to go in and know that God cares way more than I care. And I just go in, and I listen. You know, the, the sad part is that we as Baptists kick the Holy Spirit out of the church. But we're afraid of the charismatics. They screwed it up, right? And so they made it about themselves. So what we've done is we kick the Holy Spirit out. The Holy Spirit's everything. Like the Holy Spirit in you, you learn how to hear and obey in a conversation. And here's what the beauty part is, is I have, nowhere to, I have no idea where to start with this guy. Like I can't start with church. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. never read the Bible, knows nothing. His mom gave him a Bible eight years ago, he told me, when his marriage was having the trouble. So, he, so what we started doing was I started talking to him. And every time I'd say it, I'd say, Wayne, I, and I'm very honest. So if they're honest, I'm honest. I said, I think God's wooing you. And you don't know what that means. Well, what do I do? You know what's funny? Every time I'll say, I'll, I'll just, hear, I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit, and I'll say something to him, he'll say, dude, it's like you're reading my mail. And I say, no, it's just God, man. He's just wooing you, bro. He's just wooing you. So anyways, long, long, long story short, Wayne has now read John 1 through 8. I told him to read chapter 1. He just read 1 through 8. We got to meet, we, we, the next time we met together, he said, and I'm Excuse my French. He says, he says, man, that effing, like, chapter 2 in John was off the hook, like crazy. And I'm like, I don't think you can say that. Like, <laughs> like, you know, and the Holy Spirit's like, just shut up, Josh, just shut up, right? And just, I'm serious. I've, I've taken books. i got experience in God. i got pur- oh, purpose-driven life. He's trying to find his purpose. Man, I'm going to kill that thing. i got that thing. I got all this stuff in my front seat, and the Holy Spirit, every time I do it, says, Josh, don't take it. Just go and listen. I'll talk. And I just listen. See, you can do this. You think it's, listen, knowledge is important. Knowledge is important. But you can have a lot of knowledge and never have wisdom. You can have a lot of knowledge and never have understanding. I didn't plan on going here this morning at all. You, you can have a lot of knowledge and never have wisdom. Facts are knowledge. Wisdom and understanding are experience. It's how to use those facts. It's both and. You can ne- Listen, you can't have wisdom and understanding if you don't have knowledge. You've got to know about God. But listen, you know God when you experience him. When you watch the Holy Spirit use you in a conversation, when you're not fearful and you walk in, you say, Holy Spirit, I know you're going to use me. And you just listen and you ask the question the Holy Spirit puts on your mind and your heart. And you watch the Holy Spirit speak to somebody. And you slow down because you care for the dignity of that person. You care about that person. You love that person. You're willing to change your lifestyle to live with that person. To do whatever you can for that person. And by the way, this makes it really hard when you're trying to plant a church. Because they don't come fast. And you listen to this guy. Now he's reading chapters 1 through 8. And he says to me, he says, well, this, 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 he, he said this to me. He said, you seem like... You, you have something else, like you have, um, he said you have like a, a happiness, like you're comfortable with who you are. And I said, dude, you wait till you get to chapter 15. You wait till you get to chapter 15. He's like, what's in chapter 15? I'm not going to tell you, bro. See, Jesus loves tension, makes him dry. It just, Jesus loved it. Jesus wasn't about giving all the answers. Jesus was about making you, listen, discover it. 
He was, about, he was about pushing the disciples in situations where they were at the end of themselves. You're right? And that's why he taught in parables. He gave them a parable, right? And they're like, what does that even mean? Jesus is the greatest teacher ever, man. He is so awesome. And he put them in situations where tension drove them to learn. But that takes time. That takes listening to the Holy Spirit. So God's got a guy like Wayne in my life, and you can pray for Wayne, and I don't even care if you listen to this podcast because I'd tell him every bit of this. I love Wayne. I've got guys like a friend like John. We've got tons of friends. I don't have time to tell them all, but, and a lot of our people do too who are far from Jesus. They're, they're just not ready for whatever reason. And, um, and, and pray. You know, it's hard to plant a church in an area like that because, you know, here's the reality. It's like mission work. We all know we're missionaries. But like if we were like, if we were like in Africa, as missionaries, we would celebrate those things. But because we're North American church planters, we tend to miss those things. And we think that church is about getting butts in seats. And nobody, listen, nobody, we'd all agree that and say, no, it's not. It's about people. Well, if it's about people, it takes time. If it's really about people and life change, you can get someone to pray a sinner's prayer to disciples with a different story. I think it's, two, I think it's all one thing. To, to watch God fully and completely change someone with all the baggage in their life takes time. And it's hard to plant a church like that. That's why in the, North, in the, in, in, uh, the Northwest, why churches fail. They just don't have enough time. Um, next month, one of my best friends there, a planter, been there four years, worked hard. We'll be closing the doors. He just can't make it. Can't do it can't keep his family there it's hard and so uh, i told somebody this yesterday it's almost like this um you know if you go to a place that's highly church context you can get a if, if you're good enough speaker and you get good enough kids ministry you can get enough people mad at their church to come to your church and what happens is we just switch people around so the reality is is the problem with the northwest you can't do that you know why because there's not enough of us to go around there's just not enough of us to switch around a large church northwest is 250 people. It's very, it's, it's just, you, you, there's not enough of us to get mad at each other. You know why? You know, I love this. You know why I go in and like pastors love us. I could, I could literally start a church like right next to this dude and he would love it. So kingdom. When you meet a Christian, we had a lady at Costco came up to us one day and says, I love your kids. Your kids are so beautiful. My wife said, we're so blessed. She said, are you Christians? <laughs> I was like, whoa, are we like attacked or something? Like, it, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. I want to show you a couple other pictures really quick. This is our church, um, and uh, uh, this was just a lot of what we do. This is my neighborhood. This is my first house. I've been in three homes now. Long story short, it's really expensive to live in Portland, and they keep raising their rents on us. But this is a, this is a team that you guys can. We have mission teams like you guys that come up and do a lot of work with us. It's our, this is a mission team that came up. You already saw them. But um, this was an Easter egg. This is our first thing we did as a church. It took us almost a year and a half to do the first event where we said we're a church, this was an Easter egg hunt we did. We had almost 300 people come to this thing. Uh, I would say 75% of them Eastern Indians, Hindus, came to that. Yep. Uh, this was a kids camp we just did uh, this past week. Actually, it just happened this week. We had 50 kids come to it, which was awesome. This is a group from Georgia, and I don't have a picture of it. Um, hold right there. I don't have a picture of it, but we uh, just last, uh, two nights ago, I got a phone call from my wife. We, uh, they, they put a community block party on in the same place we did the Easter egg hunt. We had over 200 people come to the community block party. Um, which is awesome, but here's the reality. That will not translate to church. 
I had 300 people that came to an Easter egg hunt. You know how many people came to the service that Sunday from that? Zero. Every butt that sits in our seat is intentional relationship. They never just walk in. You can't just go to church there and people show up. Not going to happen. This was our first service, our first gathering in our home. And this is our last preview service uh, there in a school that we've shown incredible favor in. We'll be going to weekly services there in, um, in September 18th. You can pray for us. And I'll tell you this. That right there is so hard because every person in there is takes your life. Takes your life. So what we did when we first got there, we, we, we didn't just jump into the, like the field and said, hey, let's just reach out to people. We started praying, God, give us laborers. Because if we don't have laborers to disciple, that doesn't happen because I only have so much bandwidth in relationship. I only so much time. You only have so much time, so we pray for laborers. Matthew 9, 19, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He do what? Send more laborers. It's not my harvest field. I can't change anyone. It's his harvest field. We need laborers. So we start praying for laborers, build an incredible team. And um, some of uh, Ben and Amanda Delbury, I don't know if they're in the service or not. I think they're in the next service, but they're here this weekend. And we have five families from Tennessee, and, and God's just done incredible work. So anyways, just want to give you that update. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, just please keep with us. Like, stay with us. Keep praying with us. Send teams. Thank you for your support. And uh, it's been incredible. Well, um, I don't have much time. I've got a couple minutes here. Um, but in, in Luke, uh, I just want to give you two points and I'm done. Uh, Luke 10, uh, you know this story, but uh, it's a story of uh, the Good Samaritan. And I want to read it to you and then I'm going to give you two points and I'm done. Uh, ch- chapter 10, verse 30. Um, well, let's actually reach up to 25. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied... What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Then do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By a chance, a priest came along, but, he was, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed by the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he was also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. I love that. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put, on the man, put the man on his own donkey, which I love, and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, or denarii, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill rents higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. He's so good. The man replied, the, man, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says to him, yes, now go and do. Now, this is a lot here, so you're going to have to hang with me. You ready? This is like speed right here, Okay. Jesus here agrees with this man, um, agrees with him, and not only agrees with him that, he's, that, he has conc- that this guy can quote Scripture properly, but rather Jesus challenges him by being more concerned with his obedience to the commands that he, the, of the verses than he knows them in his head through knowledge. Jesus says, then go and do this and you will live. This comment pushes this lawyer, this religious leader, to places he was not willing to go. Is it as Jesus is saying, since you know this commandment well, there is no need to learn more. 
And immediately the religious expert starts to reconstruct or attempt to justify why he wasn't obedient to what he already knew. We do this all the time as Christians. We argue and argue and argue and justify things, Scripture, based on what's already been said. You know why? Because we won't be obedient to what we already know. We love to argue. And this is what this religious man was saying. You see, Jesus' days, typically there's two types of people. One type of person would just completely walk away from Jesus because his teachings were so radical. They were so radical and they pushed and they went right into your heart. Many of us did that same thing today. We justify it. We tweak it. We justify what he says. We try to make it softer than it feels because it goes right to your heart. And you're convicted by it. We hate that because of pride. So there was those type of people that would just run from him. They liked him. They just would run from it. Then there was another group of people who liked Jesus, felt like they wanted to run from him, but they felt bad. Like they, 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 they wanted him. They liked him. They want to stay around. They felt like his teachings were way too radical. I need to run with the rest of them. But I knew that probably wouldn't be a good thing because there's something about this guy. Right? We're not all in, but I, I got to stay next to this guy. And you see, religious people don't want to do anything without they think they already know, especially when it will cost them their current lifestyles to live it out of what they think they already know. Let me say that again. You see, religious people don't want to do anything with what they think they already know, especially when it will cost them their current lifestyles to live out what they think they really know. The way we say it in Portland with our team is, um, if you're going to come and if you're going to come and sit around the table. Um, you better come with no pride and realize you might not know what you think you know. And when you, th- when you sit at the table and you realize you might not know what you think you know, and you're open to learn, learning, and you're open to experiencing God based in His truth, when you're willing to do that and the mission starts to squeeze you, questions don't scare you anymore. We've, we've, been, we've had some questions in our group, questions you would never ask in church. But the reality is, is when you get closer to Jesus and you see your sin for who you are and you see who he is and you look at the world around you and the culture is vastly different, it starts to test you. And it tests you in a way that reality, here's what it tests you. Are you going to be obedient or are you not? I mean, it like draws a line. Jesus' teachings draw a line. When Jesus says you have answered right, now go and do. This religious lawyer does what all of us do and justify it because we're not obeying it. The American church is full of people today who think they know all they need to know and when pushed to actually follow Jesus, to take his commandments seriously and literally it, it, in through the areas of their life and other relationships, it will cost them time, energy, discomfort, lifestyle adjustments. They are always have more questions to justify why they aren't living out what they already think they know. It's pride. There's a reason why personal disciple making is, not, is almost non-existent in many evangelical lives. Even though it is commanded in scripture. People want religion. They want to go to church, not be the church. They don't want Jesus to press them to be the church because Jesus and his gospel challenge us to action. Our pendulum has swung so far away from action because we're so afraid of legalism. But Jesus' gospel pushes you to action. It cuts right to your heart. So I want to give you two challenges that I hope will be challenges to you. Can you hear me? All right. Awesome. Number one, just as Jesus is full of compassion, 
we as the body of Christ should be full of compassion for those around us. Verse 33 says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw this man, he felt compassion. He felt compassion. It's a phrase only used three times in the entire Bible. To feel compassion. One of those times is in Luke 15, 20. It's the, it's the story of the prodigal son, or a son, his son's coming home, a wayward son. You can look at it in verse 15. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. This, this word, the Greek word, actually means to be moved in one's bowels. It means to feel, like to feel compassion for someone. To, to, to have, it's deeper empathy for someone. It, it's so deep that it moves you to something. You can't sit still. It, it's, it's deeper than just saying, I feel bad for somebody. It's to be moved by somebody. It's what moved Jesus to weep for people. When's the last time you wept for someone that doesn't know Christ? To be moved. It, it's this picture. You think about my son. I've got kids now. If you've got kids, you totally get this who's been gone wayward and done their own thing and lived a rebellious life, and you know all the nasty filth that they've been a part of, but yet they come home and you see your son, and I can imagine you're not just standing there waiting, you're running to your son and embracing him with compassion. You feel it's your son. It's that feeling. So what's he saying? He says we should feel and act with the same compassion toward others as if they were a lost child who comes home. The book of Hosea pictures God as a loving father who looks down from heaven with a yearning heart of compassion upon his wayward, rebellious people. I love this. God regards Israel in the Old Testament, his people, as an unfaithful, adulterous wife whom he loves as a faithful husband in spite of her sinful, adulterous acts. God looks at us like an adulterous wife who cheats on him, who cheats on him, who cheats on him, who cheats on him, and he continues to love, and he continues to love. Why? Because he's moved with compassion. He's moved with it. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowd, he says he was compassionate. He, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at people and said, like Wayne. He said, they're sheep. They're, they're going all over the place looking for greener pastures, and they're always going to end up hungry. And I'm moved, so moved by that. Because of what I've experienced, he hasn't experienced yet. And that moves you to do something. Where does the compassion come from? The compassion Jesus is talking about is not something that's in you. You don't just leave here and say, I'm going to feel more for my friend. Where does that come from? What God wants to do through you, he must first do in you. This is exactly what Paul was saying in the passage of 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 that you read this week. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, this is the gospel, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. Like, this is what Paul's saying, of first importance is that I have received. Of first importance is the gospel of Jesus. It, listen, if you, we have an epidemic in the church that teaches that mission is what's supposed to be pursued. That, like, us going to Portland is, like, what everybody should do. Like, you going and doing something for God is what you should do. That's the way we hear it. Mission will crush you. Like, this mission will crush you. Like, going into people's lives like Wayne and being moved with compassion will cost you your life. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your vacations. It will cost you, it will cost you all your comforts. It will cost you your family time. It will cost you all of your comforts. 
mission will crush you if you do not pursue Jesus first. If Jesus does not fill you up to move you to mission, the mission will squeeze you like a toothpaste tube and you'll realize that nothing comes out. Paul calls it in, Second, in, in Colossians 2, he calls it like a shadow. You have a lot of disciplines and you do a lot of stuff. Mission, but he says you're like shadows. You're hollow. Mission will crush you. Don't hear this message as I'm saying, go do something. I'm saying this mission, this compassion to be moved, to, to do mission comes from first him doing something in you. And what is it? It's, it, it's, it's, it's being moved by his love. It's being transformed by his love for you. I say this thought to our people all the time. I say the abide relationship with Jesus is everything. If, listen, if you don't understand that you, if, if grace is cheap, you'll never give grace. If you don't understand how bad you really are, you'll never, you'll never be moved by Jesus' grace. If you understand that you are, today, today where you sit, with all the bad things that went through your mind this week, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if, you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, as bad as, and you know who you are, you had things happen in your life this week, you yelled at your wife. You, what are, you, uh, you, saw, you yelled at your wife this morning. All those things. If you have faith in Christ, Jesus lives in you, and you are justified because of his blood on the cross, here's the reality. You are as righteous today before God as you will be a thousand years in heaven. If that does not move you, I'm telling you, you have not embraced compassion that God has for you. you if that does not move you, you think better of yourself than you really are. It starts with him doing it in you. That's why Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 34, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, strength, and then what? Love your what? Neighbors yourself. You know why he says this? Here's what he said. John Piper says the best. I'm just going to let him say it. He says the best. He says the first of the greatest commandment is the basis of the second commandment. The second commandment is a visible expression of the first commandment, which means this. Before you make your own self-seeking the measure of your self-giving, make God the focus of your self-seeking. This is the point of the first commandment. So what then does Jesus mean, love our neighbors ourselves? He is commanding that our self-love, when God's love for you overflows and you know and you now have discovered fulfillment in God's love, it will be that, that that moves you to show love to your neighbor. If you, don't, if you have not embraced God's love for you, you will never be moved. I will stand up here and spit and spit and scream and scream for you to love your neighbor and to do mission, but you will never sacrifice a thing for anybody. Because you'll look for your happiness and everything else that will never bring fulfillment. Until you're fully filled and overflow, you have nothing to give. It's the reality, people. The reality is this church plant might fail. But I will walk away from Portland and I'll know the thing that God did in my heart. The thing God did in my heart, you can't take away. Because he loved me. And he taught me what it means when everything stripped away, he taught me what it means just to be good with being loved. Just to be good with being loved. And that love moves me because I know that there's tons of people in this room that have never experienced that love for you. That's the gospel. 
Grace and the gospel is the message. We should go home. That's the message. That's it. The overflow of what Jesus does in you overflows to those around you. So the question is, do you know you're loved? The Bible calls you, listen, righteous. Do you know that? And then last thing, and I'm done. Just as Jesus came to us, you will have to be intentional to go to them. That's why I didn't put this point one. You see this in the text. This Samaritan, who's, by the way, half-breed, the Levite, the, the Levite, the temple assistant, the priest, they don't go help their own Jew. They're too busy. They don't go help their own Jew. You know who goes helps the Jew? The Samaritan who's, who's hated by the Jew. The Samaritan hated by the Jew is the one that helps the Jew. This is what I love about wayward people. And by the way, Samaritans were really, really foul people. Some of it they brought on themselves. But the reality is, this is why I love people of Portland, Oregon, is because they, they're, they're not religious. When Jesus changes, now he changes them. And so the reality is this, is the people that embrace the great gospel of God the most are not the people that are hanging onto the rope. The people that embrace the God the most are the ones that the rope's cut and they're at the bottom of their life and they have nowhere to go. Because those people, like Samaritans, know what it's like to be at the bottom. And when you get to the bottom of yourself and you find Jesus there, you're willing to go across the street, across the road to, ha- to help the person who hates you. And that's the Jew. And so this Samaritan goes over, verse 34 says, going over to him, he felt so deeply and was so acted upon it. This hated Samaritan goes over to the Jew. And I love this. I'm not going to read it, but he says he, he put him on his own donkey, his own donkey, takes him to an inn and gives two, listen, basically two uh, full days of wages to take care of this guy. You heard what I said earlier. If you're going to help people, if you're going to have compassion for people, if you're going to be so filled with Jesus in such a way that it moves you to help and have compassion for other people, specifically lost people, it's going to cost you your wages. It's going to cost you your energy and your time. It's going to cost you everything. And so I'll say this. Last slide there. Listen, church. We do not love our neighbors to just convert them or invite them to our church. We love our neighbors because we are converted and we are the church. This is who we are. We get the chance to live these principles of the gospel, to embrace and find our happiness and joy filled in Jesus as a result. Give our lives, our schedules, our comforts always away. We get a chance to paint the beautiful picture of God's love and what he's done for us into the life of people that God's put around us. This word neighbor, by the way, when Jesus says love your neighbor, it doesn't mean necessarily your neighbor, your neighborhood. It does mean that. What he means is just the people that, it, it, the word actually means adjacent to. It's the people at your workplace. It's the people in your neighborhood. It's the people that, listen, the saddest part about, for us and our lives that we've experienced in the last three years, one of the saddest things we experienced is that when we moved to Las Vegas and in Portland, Oregon, we realized we lived at a house about 10 minutes from here, here in Gray. And we lived there seven years, and I knew our neighbors' names, and I would have told you I knew them. I didn't know them. You know why I didn't know them? Because I didn't have time for them. And I wasn't moved by God's love enough to even go for them. Because it would cost me my life. I would have had to say no to some of you people, because I was supposed to hang out with all my Christian friends. But I would have had to go vacate with those people. I had to live life with those people. Listen, I love the church. The reason we're called Remedy City Church is we believe that the remedy for the city is the body of Christ, being the body of Christ in the city. 
That's why we call ourselves Remnant City Church. I love, listen, you're not an individual, you're a part of a body. You need the body. But living as a body doesn't mean this. You know why the body exists? To come here, to be encouraged, to build each other up, to know at 2 o'clock in the morning you can call Ed Lee and he's going to be on your doorstep. Call him tonight. It'd be awesome. 2 o'clock in the morning, he'd be on your doorstep. Why? Because he's your brother. When he sees your marriage, sir, he's your brother. Right? We're family. This is, a, this is a family. But you know what happens when we get together? We should build and encourage each other up. Ephesians says this. You know then what you should do? You know what you should do next? Go hang out with each other every day of the week. No. You know what this says do? Send out. Be sent out. Why? Because there's plenty of people who have never experienced this. I cannot force you to be sent out. I can't spit enough and scream enough to tell you to go love your neighbor. I can't, I can't convince you enough, cannot convince you enough to sacrifice your life as Jesus sacrificed for you and be moved for people enough to give everything for those people God's put around you that don't know him yet. I cannot tell you to do that enough if you have not been moved by Jesus in a relationship with him. So I'll close like this. For some of you, that means this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not scared of your questions. You've been going to this church for 10 years. And finally this morning, somebody's going to step up and say, just tell somebody. Because you know why? The person you tell is probably having the same questions you have. If you're struggling, you're like, I'm just going to church, man, but I've never been moved by God's grace. Tell somebody. You're not going to find it, just keep coming to church. I tell other people all the time, don't go church on people. Don't go church on people. Just be there, listen, ask questions. I'm not scared of those questions. Quit being religious. I'm just as messed up as you're messed up. Drop your pride. Some of you need a relationship with Jesus, be moved. And I'm telling you, once you're moved by the gospel, you'll move to Portland, Oregon. Better yet, you'll go across the street here in Gray, Tennessee, and you'll give your life and your time and your energy to that person God's put in your path. Whatever it takes. And what's the trick? What's the trick? Hear and obey the Holy Spirit. Don't take your books. Don't take your books. Don't take your apologetic course. Don't take any of that. Just go, give your time, the people God's put in your life. And when they invite, listen, I love this. Jesus said this. He sent them out and said, hey, they invite you in. What's he say do? He said, stay. He sent out a 72, right? He said, I want you to go out. He said, when somebody invites you in, what's he say do? You stay there. But he says, if they don't invite you in, what do you do? Watch, off your feet and go out. You know why he said that? You can't talk anybody into Jesus. You don't have enough. The mission is too big for you. So here's, here's, here's the key for you. If you're here this morning, you're moved with compassion. You go to your neighbor's door. You start talking. You have your neighbors over. If they don't invite you into a relationship with them, you go to the next person. You go to the next person. And you go to the next person. And then somebody's going to invite you into their life. And they're going to invite you to something. They're going to invite you to their house. They're going to, they're going to open up their life to you. And when they open up their life to you, you better hang on. And you stay there. Because you're moved. Because you want them to experience the love that you've experienced. And because you've, been ex- you've experienced what you've experienced, you're willing to go across the road. Like the Samaritan did. Even though they might hate you. You're willing to go across the road and give everything you have to them because you've been moved by Jesus. It's a great message. Jesus is good. His gospel is so good. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you can come talk to me after service, but here's what I tell you to do. Talk to the person that you know. Talk to that friend that brought you. I'm not, I'm not a priest, okay? I'm just like you. Talk to somebody. Tell somebody, I need, I, I need to experience Jesus. And maybe you're here and you have experienced that. 
Who's inviting you in? That'd be the question. Let me pray. Man, come on up. Lord Jesus. Lord, there's so much in this text that, Lord, there's, there's so much here that I, I just, I've said what I feel like I needed to say, God. I want to trust you with it. There's so much more depth to this text. God, these, these folks in here, God, they, many have heard this story. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they may even go home and just, man, if it calls them to go home and read the text more, God, because I knew they knew there was more in there, praise you, Lord. Like, that would be awesome. God, but the point this morning I think that you make for all of us is that, and for me, just because I go on a mission to Portland, Oregon to be a church planner doesn't mean that, um, Lord, I could also move there and not know my neighbors. I can move there and also not love the people that you put around me in my life, adjacent to my life. I could, I could also go there and slowly but surely just do religion and just do church and not, Lord, think I've sacrificed enough and, and, and just stop sacrificing. Stop pushing into you, Lord, and, and stop listening to you and stop learning. And so, Lord, I pray that I don't care how long they've been believers. I don't care, Lord, if, they, if they're a new believer, if they're not a believer here, God. I pray that whatever your Holy Spirit needs to say, that you say to them right now, Lord. You, you have said to them during this whole sermon, God, I pray that, that whatever you're calling them to do, God, would you, would you just say it louder to them at this moment, their heart. Lord, if they don't have a relationship with you, God, don't, don't let them think that anybody is scared of that question. Lord, of what if, or scared, Lord, that they've even been the worship band, God. They've even preached, Lord, and they've just never embraced and experienced your gospel. They've never asked you into a person as a to be their God, to be the Lord of their life, to and a, to, to enter a personal relationship with you. And Lord, I pray this morning with everything they know, God, that they would start that. Ask somebody what it means to do that. And Lord, I I, I pray for those ones here this morning that have experienced the gospel. Maybe, God, they're just out of fellowship. Maybe that's the problem while we're not missional in our lives. Lord, maybe they're just out of fellowship. They need to just be embrace more of you every day. I pray for their quiet times, Lord. I pray that they're in the word every day. God, they sit at your table and they just, God, they just eat on your word and just like nurturing, like a vine nurturing us, Lord, as branches. Lord, would, would, our, would these people be so nurtured by your word that God, fruit, God would spring up in their own life and they would see you active in their life. You in their life. And because they see you active in their life, God, they would want that in other people's lives and that would move them to give their life away for their neighbor. And I pray, Lord, the next time I come here, I pray that people were able to walk up to me and say, someone invited me into a relationship with them. And I, Lord, I just went into that thing. And, and Josh, I just listened to the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what God's done in this person's life. I pray, Lord, that you would multiply this effort, Lord, and that people would come to know you and this baptism pool behind me, God, would get full. Um, God, because people come into a relationship with you through people that have been moved by you. So, Jesus, would you do that? And, um, Lord, I pray you do that for Remedy City, even this morning, God, that they keep pressing into that message. We love you. You are a good God. And, um, Lord, I pray that everyone here would walk out of here this morning just embracing how much they truly are loved by you. 
that is always the message, Jesus, your grace. Thank you for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.